All right, well, guys, it is a joy to be able to finish a series that we've been in called God Wants to Heal You. And I don't know if you've missed any of that or if you've heard any of that. That's okay. I'll catch you up a little bit. Um, but today is the final installment of a series we've been doing called God Wants to Heal You. And basically, the premise of this entire series was this idea that a particular preacher came up with. He, he, he had a way of talking about sickness and disease as being disharmony with God's created order. And so, so, so what in essence it was, is, is that he was saying that, that when God created humankind, that in the garden, he created us good. Matter of fact, the Bible says very good. And before sin entered the world, that was harmonious with God's creation. As a result of sin, there became a disharmony in the world. And whether we know it or not, we all have forms of disharmony when it comes to uh, our relationship with God. That's one of the good news things that we talk about here in the church about Jesus and that Jesus came to deal with that disharmony. Now what we did is, is in this series we talked about that in relationship not just to sin but also to sickness and disease. And, and that's the thing. And, and if you've missed any of the installments that I've talked about, I can't catch you up completely today. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of those messages. But in general, the messages centered around this idea that do you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you today believe that God can heal people? And if you do, are you willing to pray for people to be healed? So, in other words, if you believe something, you should be able to act in it, yes? I mean, that would make sense, right? I mean, that's, th th a lot of times the actions that we have come from beliefs that we carry. And so if we do believe that God wants to heal people, would we as believers in Jesus Christ go a step further and not just believe it in our heads, but we would act upon it as we pray for people in the world and ask God to heal people. And, and, and here's the other thing. I know sometimes we don't pray for people because we're afraid of the results. Like we don't know if it's going to actually happen, so we skirt back. Maybe sometimes we don't pray for people because we don't know uh, not just what will happen, but but. We're not sure if God will hear us. Or I did a whole, whole sermon on reasons why people don't get healed. And so I, that kind of stirs the pot enough, and you can kind of investigate that on your own. But basically what I want to do today is come to this conclusion, and that is I fundamentally believe, and this church believes, that God wants to heal people. That he has compassion on his creation he sees us in the difficulties that we face, the challenges we face, even the sickness and disease we face, and he cares. Like he doesn't pity us. He has compassion on us because he loves us. And so my heart is that this church would believe that. My heart is that you would believe that uh, so that you might be able to experience the fullness of a relationship with God. And so today... I want to finalize this series by talking about something very specific uh, related to something Jesus did with his disciples. There was something he did with his disciples that has carried through the Christian experience ever since the very beginning that I want to talk about just a little bit today. Now, last week, I talked about the don't touch me culture that we live in. Yes, I mean, we live in a culture right now, and, and, if, and, and, and it's kind of for good reasons, you know what I mean? Like, you're in a pandemic, it's like, hey, let's wash our hands, don't touch each other, you know, put your masks on, you know, all that. And I'm not here to politicize that at all, I'm just simply saying that that's the world we live in. 
And as a result of that, we kind of have gotten to a point where it's almost like we're afraid to touch each other. We're afraid to be around too many people. And, and I get why, but I think one of the things I talked about last week that can happen is we actually start to neglect things that matter. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like when you're dealing with that kind of environment, you can neglect things that really do matter, not only in the spiritual, but to the human experience, just in general. Imagine going through life and never being touched. I mean, imagine what that might do to you as a human being. I mean, we, we've seen all the research, you know what I mean? And God understood this, and he understood this in its activity as it relates to the church. And so last week I talked about the importance of laying on of hands in a don't-touch-me culture. See, the Bible talks so much about the laying on of hands in people's lives. The laying on of hands that people might be healed. The laying on of hands that you might bless the children. The laying on of hands uh, that, that might lead to something that somebody needs in their life. But sometimes what happens is we neglect those things when we get in situations like we find ourselves. And so I wanted to talk just about three things that I think currently we're neglecting. Okay, Three things that I think we're neglecting. Spiritual practices that are being neglected at this time in history. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise. But I am saying that in our wisdom, we should not neglect the things God has told us to do. Does that make sense? So important we see this. The first was the laying on of hands, which I talked about last week, and I don't have time to go into that today. But the other two that I think we've neglected as well as the church is baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion. Now, now I know that there's a lot involved in that. You know, there's a lot of touch. There's a lot of interaction. There's even close proximity. And, and so what happens is in a wisdom kind of world, it's like, okay, it makes sense. Let's not do these things, Right. And so I was talking to somebody right before service, and they were just saying, man, it's been a long time since we've done communion, right? And, and you may be here today, and you're like, yeah, I haven't done that in like 26 years, you know? Or maybe it's been a year, you know, maybe it's been two, I don't know. Maybe you did it last week, I don't know. But I think there is something to be said here, that, that, that when the Bible tells us to do certain things, we should probably figure out how to do them. We should probably figure out how to do them. And so I just believe that there are three things that we've neglected in this pandemic. One is the laying on of hands. The other is baptism. And, and then finally, a regular, a regular practice of remembering the Lord's sacrifice through communion. Now, now, in the Protestant church, you may or may not know this. And you're like, what's a Protestant church? It's a church that's not Catholic. Okay, so you have Catholics and you have Protestants pretty much. Right? That's kind of how it works. Well, you also have the Greek Orthodox and well, I guess you throw in the Russian Orthodox, too. So, yeah, and you know what I'm getting at. You know, so, so you, have, you have these different tribes. And the Protestant tribe has two sacraments that we believe in. Now I, now, I believe the Catholics have seven. I think they have seven sacraments. But we only have two. And so the two that we believe in as a Protestant church is we believe in baptism and we believe in communion. Now, you may not know what a sacrament is, this fancy word. You're trying to kind of figure it out. I found a definition of sacrament that I think is really helpful, and so I'll just share it with you today. Sacrament. A sacrament is simply a visible sign of something supernatural that is taking place in an invisible way. Isn't that good? Now, that may be contrary to something you were taught. In other words, you may have been taught it's just some symbol. 
right? It's just some symbol that we do. It's just symbolism. Well, I agree that it's symbolism. There is symbolism in communion. There is symbolism in baptism. But I also believe that the reason Jesus wanted us to do these things The reason it's in the Bible is not just that we would participate in it as some kind of just symbolic experience. I actually believe, and I think the Bible teaches this, is that that there's something spiritual happening. Like it's not just physical. Now, I can't fully explain it all the time. I don't always understand what's going on. But I do know this, that in communion and in baptism, There's something spiritual happening. There's something spiritual happening. And and, and I would go as far to say there's a connection being created between you and God. And anytime there's a connection created between you and God, amazing things can happen. And so, so, so what I want to do for just a moment is talk about these two items. I'm going to spend way more time on communion And a little less time on baptism today, but I felt like I needed to speak a little bit about baptism as well. And so one of the sacraments that we practice as a church is baptism. Listen to these words in Luke. I love this story because this story is about Jesus, our Savior and Lord, being baptized. Like it's just a cool experience in the scriptures. And and, and what I love most about it is how the scripture describes the Father God speaking about His Son. Get this. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. And this is in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 3, or it'll be on the screens behind me. If you're wondering where Luke is, find Matthew, then Mark, then you'll get Luke. All right? So Luke chapter 3, verse 21. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. So here's the deal. If Jesus thought it was important, we should probably do it too. I mean, that's my big, that's my best argument. Okay. Here he goes. Luke goes on. As he was praying, the heavens opened. Get this picture this in your mind. Jesus is being baptized. And while he's praying, the heavens open up and In verse 22, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form, listen to this, descends on him like a dove. You picture that in your mind? Something's going on spiritual here. It's not just a physical act. So there's something spiritual happening. And a voice from heaven said, this is my favorite part, listen. You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I love that. I love that when I was baptized, those are the same words that Jesus would speak over me. That, 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 that I'm a dearly loved son and that God finds great joy in me. I don't know if you know that about yourself, but the Bible says that you are a dearly loved daughter or a dearly loved son. And God, God is, has so much joy over you as a person, as a human being. Now, why is that important? Why, why is this act of baptism such a big deal? Because I actually think it's right there in that moment that God is solidifying your foundational identity. 
And if your foundational identity isn't secure as son or daughter who is dearly loved, what will happen is you'll try to find it and everything else in this world has to offer. Because you lose your center and your foundation when you don't have that. That's why it's so important. So it's not only a physical act, it's a spiritual act that God wants to cement in your life. And so baptism is this invisible, uh, amazing, supernatural experience, but yet it's also symbolic. It's physical, it's real. You go under the water, you come out of the water, and all of these things represent important things. This immersion into the water is this picture of you going to death and then coming back to new life in Christ. And it's such a powerful idea that that as you come up out of the water, you are now infused with new life. You are infused with grace. You are infused with love. You're infused with peace and joy. See, these are the kinds of things that are happening, whether you know it or not, because what happens is these things are infused into your life, but sometimes what we do is we walk out of the room and we put them on a shelf. And God says to you, don't put them on a shelf. That's who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have been infused with all of these attributes, all of these characteristics, all of these fruits of the Spirit, now live in them. Whew, that's good stuff. And so I just say to you, if you haven't been baptized, what you waiting on? I mean, seriously, don't, don't wait for the perfect time. Holy Lord, why? You know, don't wait till you, all your family can be there, till you get the right picture. Who cares? I mean, I get it. I understand memories, and I understand I just probably offended half of you scrapbookers in here. <laughs> but it's not about the picture. It's about your life being infused with the grace and the power of God. Whoo, that's what you need. You don't need another picture. You need an infusion. So, so that's enough on baptism for today. So my, just my instruction to you, Jesus got baptized, you should too. <laughs> the, second, the second sacrament that the church practices is communion. And so you've, you've maybe heard it called the Lord's Supper. Perhaps you've heard it called the Eucharist. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you've even heard it called the Great Thanksgiving. Because really, Eucharist just simply means Thanksgiving. And so sometimes you, you, you hear that word, like we're going to the great Thanksgiving or, you know, whatever. And, and, and so, so uh, I don't know what you said growing up if you grew up in the church. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you've heard the word somewhere. But, 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 but it really just simply means Thanksgiving. Isn't that curious that, that we're celebrating the death of Jesus and, and it's called the great Thanksgiving? It creates a, a tension, doesn't it? It creates a, a little bit of a confusion that it's like, wait, what, what's that about? What do you mean by that? And I think we, as we look at it even more, we'll, we'll better understand it. But here's something that I want to point your attention to that you may not have known. You may not even realize this. Uh, I suspect that many of you in your life have taken, or, or sorry, received communion before. You've received communion, and, and maybe you've done that in church. Maybe you've done that uh, when you were little. Maybe you did it when you were an adult. I don't know, you know, because there's all these rules out there, right? You can't do this, and you can't do that. And some churches you can do this, and some churches you can't even do it. You know, I mean, so it's like, it's just kind of all over the place. We've come up with all kinds of interesting rules and regulations as it relates to the Lord's Supper. Come on. Isn't that funny? That's what human beings do. 
God makes it simple and we complicate it. I'll just let that sit there for a second. But you see, you see, see, there's something that has traditionally been part of communion that I think doesn't get talked about very much. Here's what I want to suggest to you today. Traditionally, communion has always been seen as a sacrament that brings healing into people's lives. Now, I don't know if you know that. I mean, you may have done the deed, you've said the words, you've prayed the prayers, and you've walked up and you received and you walked away. But, but, but maybe at no point did you realize that communion is actually a means of grace for your healing. Not just healing from sin, but physical healing in your life. I don't know if you know that. I don't even know if you've considered that or think about that. But it's something that I think we need to look at. Listen to this prayer. This was a prayer that's written a long time ago. It was a, a liturgical prayer that was used in worship. But I think it's really powerful. Listen to these words. Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's speaking. Lord Jesus Christ, with faith in your love and mercy, I eat your body and drink your blood. See, for some of us, like, whoa, right? Like, you're like, I don't know about that. But just stay with me. I eat your body and drink your blood. Listen to this. Let it not bring me condemnation, but health in mind and body. I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the words and I shall be healed. That's right out of the scripture. Just say the words, Jesus, and I'll be healed. And, and I just love this, 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 this prayer because it helps us see the connection between communion and healing, but it also throws in something that I'm curious about. Did you notice the word, let it not bring condemnation? What exactly do they mean by that? Like, what does it mean to somehow participate in communion and, and, in the, and in somehow in the participation of communion, I'm bringing co co condemnation into my life? Now, just stick with me now. I don't want you to guys get freaked out. This is important. You have to see this. And I'm going to explain it as best I can. But there's something going on here that this prayer writer, and I would even say the Bible, because I'm going to read it to you, is trying to help us see something. It's trying to help us see that communion should never be casual. The communion is a sacred thing. The communion is something that we participate in that is not just physical, but it's also spiritual. That it provides healing to us. Matter of fact, I want you to picture this. Picture, picture the communion table if we had one. And out of that communion table, there's a river of healing flowing out of it to you and to me. Imagine. And the waters are, are, are just kind of going out to everybody. Isn't that a cool picture? I think that picture is a picture that the Lord wants us to see today. That there's a healing that is coming from the table. There's a healing for you physically. There's a healing for you mentally. There's a healing for us collectively. There's a healing that comes from the table of the Lord. Listen to this. So in Corinthians, and this is in 1 Corinthians. First, sorry. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 31. Now, before I read this, I want you to know that 
that at the very beginning of this chapter, Paul says to the church at Corinth, I have an issue with you. <laughs> when, the, when the apostle Paul says he has an issue with you, you, you know, it's like, okay, I've got to listen up. Now, Paul had an issue with the church at Corinth because they were being a little too casual, but they also were, were functioning in this divisiveness. They were, they were separating people out based on status. Some people were included. Some people weren't included. And, and what Paul is trying to, to get at in this chapter is that there was division. There was division in the church. That context, I think, is kind of a fun, important context for us, don't you think? When you think about the church today, when you think about our world today, when you think about the sides that are being taken up, Yes. And so so Paul is speaking into a situation where there's real division. And he says, I have an issue with you. And, 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 And listen to what he writes here in 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Some of you are like, why did I come to church today? Watch this in verse 28. A man ought to, a woman ought to examine himself or herself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself or herself. Verse 30. When was the last time you heard a sermon on this? That is why many, listen to this, listen to this, please. Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. All right, well, I'm going to pray and we'll see you guys later. Now, I read a passage like that, and there are some of you in the room that listen to that, and you think to yourself, there's no way on God's green earth I'm coming up for communion today. There's a part of you that's like, oh, I don't, I don't ever want to participate in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want that kind of condemnation in my life. And so I'm, I, you know what, I'm going to sit here and I'll be just fine. And so I, I want to make sure I speak very clearly to this so that none of you who are thinking that right now uh, take that on. Okay, it's important you hear me. So if you're in that camp right now, you're thinking, oh, geez, uh, it, pastor's saying if I have any sin in my life, I can't come to the table. No, that's not what I'm saying. Listen, listen to this. I, I think this is a good way. Uh, I was reading one particular, uh, tormenting. Yes. Some even avoid taking communion so that they will not take it unworthily and be condemned. This writer says, but Paul was not setting in motion some intro, I love this, introspective festival. You know, you know how we go so introspective. It's like we're throwing our own introspective party. He says, 
He said it's, it's not so that we'll create some introspective festival in which you, uh, in which you scour the recesses of your mind so that you can ask for forgiveness for every unconfessed sin that you have. It's not that at all. He says, on the contrary, such incredible introspection ironically pushes the focus back on you as an individual rather than on the body of Christ around you. So in other words, you become so self-consumed, you miss what communion is really about. Paul refers to, to those who corrupt the body of Christ by the selfish and unchristian manner in which they eat together in Jude 12. Watch this. In contrast, when we are fully aware of our dependence on Christ's death for the forgiveness of our sins, then we realize that we all stand equally before God's grace. Listen to this. It is deeply lamentable that some Christians misunderstand this verse to mean that only those who are perfectly righteous can partake of the Lord's Supper. Does that help? So that's not what we're talking about. But we're not dismissing the fact that the Bible very clearly says we should examine ourselves. That we should look around and see, is there any division Is there any division in our heart? Is there any division in my life? Is there any division in the church? Is there any division in our world in the church? Is there any division? We should consider these things. And he goes on to say, that's why many of you are sick. So he's saying there is a direct correlation between the division that's happening, all that, right? The unworthiness part of it. There's a direct correlation between that and people experiencing physical sickness. Get this. You guys still with me? So, so here's what I'm asking. If that's true, then we should tune into the fact that we, do, we should make sure we're receiving communion in the right way, allowing it to be what it needs to be for us. Because if we don't, one of the byproducts could be sickness and disease. Do you see what I'm getting at? Now, you can get mad at me for saying all of this, and, and that's all fine, but you have to deal with the Scripture. If you're, if you're a Bible-believing, you have to deal with what Jesus and what Paul is saying here. That, that, that there is a correlation here. Now, I don't know, and again, I'm not saying that it's, it's one for two or two for two. Or, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that that's what the Bible teaches. There is this aspect in, 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 in biblical teaching that one that... that that we hear very little about, yes? I mean, we don't hear, yes? We don't hear about this. And it goes on. But it's clear that there's a claim in Scripture that spiritual sin can result in physical sickness, even death. (sighs) To be sure, Paul does not teach that all sickness results from our sins. Indeed, the Gospel of John makes it clear that not every sin or every uh, sickness that we have is a result of sin. John 9, 3. Nevertheless, Paul clearly believes that some sickness and death resulted from sins such as that in the Corinthian church during the Lord's Supper. Now, I know that what I just shared with you is a massive deal. 
and it is a mouthful. One of the reasons I read the commentary for you is there would, there, there would be no mistaking what I'm actually saying. Because I'm not trying to say that there's always a correlation. I'm just simply saying that the Bible very clearly indicates that when we come to the table of the Lord, if we don't spend the time we need doing the things that we need to do to prepare ourselves, that what can happen is that we experience something that God never intended us to experience. Remember when I talked about the infusion of grace? The infusion of, of love, the infusion of joy, the infusion, infusion of healing, remember that? Everybody's like, yeah, I want that, I want that. That's possible here. But all the Bible is asking us to do is consider this important matter. That when we come to the table of the Lord, we need to do a couple of things. First, we need not think communion is all about us. Do you know what I mean? Because I think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I actually think communion is just all about me and Jesus. And I just want to say that it's not necessarily all about you. There's something bigger going on. Now, it is true that God's grace is available to you individually, but there's also some other things going on. And I think that's what Paul was trying to get at, is that Paul was trying to help us to, to see that the, the, the way that the Corinthian church was behaving, the way that they were disenfranchising some people, the way that they weren't inviting other people, the way that they were being gluttonous at the Lord's Supper, the way that they were being drunk at the Lord's Supper, the way that they were doing these things, it was creating a problem, not just for the individual, but also for the church collectively. So, so, so what I'm asking us to see is that when we come to communion today, may we absolutely examine ourselves. But we, may we also examine the church. Because don't you think that the church needs God's healing just as much as the individual? And so, so what I'm trying to get us to see is to step back a little bit and believe that as we come to the table of the Lord, not only can we receive these things, but, but that God wants his church to receive it. Here it is, here it is. It's a reset for the individual, and it's a reset for the church. So when we encounter the blood of Christ at the table, it can be a reset for both. And I don't know about you, but I need a reset in my life, don't you? Yeah. I'm sure all of you lived perfectly this week and last week and the week before. You need a reset. I need a reset. But I think our church needs a reset. Don't you? And I'm, this church needs a reset. The church down the street needs a reset. The, the world church needs a reset. So that we can do the things that God has called us to do. And so communion is a celebration for the believer. That's why they call it the Thanksgiving. That's a celebration. So as we come to the table of the Lord today, may we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Communion is a time to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us for our salvation. And then listen to this. Communion is a time for us to receive an infusion of grace, hope, Healing and joy. Oh, God, thank you. Does anybody need that? I know I do. And so what I want to do as we come to this time of communion, I want to just take a few minutes and prepare our hearts. Okay? We've had a lot going on this week. Maybe you've had a lot going on this month. Maybe you've had a lot going on this year. But I, I think it's important 
that we take just a few minutes and examine our lives before a holy God. Is that okay? So, go ahead and just close your eyes for a moment. I don't want you to create an introspective festival. I just simply want you to say this to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there anything right now in my life that's dishonoring of you? Now just sit there in that. Now, if the Holy Spirit revealed anything to you, and let me just say this, if there's a laundry list, that's from the devil. I think God takes it case by case. Because God doesn't want you to be condemned today. God wants you to find forgiveness. And so, what is it that the Holy Spirit brought to your mind? Maybe one thing, two things that you just, you just need to give to him. So as we examine our hearts, the Bible says that we should confess whatever's revealed. And matter of fact, the Bible says if we confess that it creates a pathway for healing. So I want to do is lead you in a prayer. Just make this your prayer. Holy Spirit, I need your help. This thing, this sin, this, this habit, this hurt, whatever it is, it's just been, it's been on me. And I need, I need to get rid of it. And so, Lord, I confess that I need you. I confess that I have sin in my life that I need to just lay down before your feet. God, would you forgive me? In Jesus' name, amen, amen.